Hello, Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jarjarwarung country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. So, it's been a while, but I'm excited to be on the air again and hope to bring you more stories from regional Victoria soon. As you know, April 28th commemorated International Workers' Memorial Day and in Bendigo we had a small gathering at Trades Hall and heard from Jackie, a local woman who lost her husband in a workplace accident in early 2021. Also last month I attended the opening session of the Australian Society for the Study of Labour History Conference, which was this year held at La Trobe University in Bendigo. We'll hear Yoda Yoda woman Dr Michelle McMahon talk about what community, care and labour mean to her. First, let's hear from Jackie. So, um, Joe, my partner, died at a workplace in July 2020, so it's coming up nearly two years, so it's still under investigation and things. Um, so I'm just sort of talking about how it affected our family. So the death of Joe at his workplace is one of the hardest experiences we've ever had to go through. The first few weeks you're in shock, overwhelmed with so many contacts for lots of people, coroner, police, investigators, friends and family. Um, and I was also worried about his work colleagues and how, how they were going after a tragic accident in his workplace. The first responders, emergency staff who tried to help him as well. The first six months of grief was just a blur for all of us. We were just trying to get through the day and getting used to our life without Joe. Joe and I, our three children, had many plans for our future together, um, and this loss completely devastated us all, and we have a huge void in our lives. I was trying to adapt to my new normal with my grief. COVID, lockdown, isolations didn't help us either, as our usual supports weren't always available. Friends and family, or way they couldn't come to his funeral. My mind couldn't concentrate as well, and it was foggy. I was, couldn't sleep well, I was tired, I was exhausted. Um, struggling to do the normal things I did every day before Joe's accident. Um, this was frustrating for me. We were trying to come to terms with Joe not being here in our lives anymore and it had been turned upside down. The future plans won't happen now. The girls won't actually have a father to walk them down the aisle or meet their children anymore. Some days I forgot for a second about the accident and I think, oh, it's four o'clock, Joe will come through the door. And I get, well, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, and he wasn't. So now I have to get used to me living alone looking at all these things every day, looking at the photos that we got printed off um, of our holidays because we started to tick things off our bucket list, so I've got them all printed on the wall so I sort of smile and remember all the beautiful times we've had together. Um, the house is so quiet without him. I had to get used to us not travelling in the car together from work as in the morning he would drop me off at work and he'd go to his work and he'd pick me up after work. Um, our joy for, my joy for life and our future has gone and I couldn't see how I could find to get that back again without Joe. And now nearly after two years on it, I still feel the same. Heading back to work is still hard for me now. The grief affects my concentration, my memories, my emotion, fatigue, and I experience brain, brain, sorry, brain fog every day. I am able to go back fully to my work as I had prior to Joe's death. As being a nurse and being in a caring role, I don't have enough in me to give the families and the children the support they need when they're admitted in the hospital. 
I now get overwhelmed easily due to the stress and the pressure of work. My medical needs are exacerbated and my pain is increased. I often wake up overnight and my thoughts keep me awake, as well as the pain in my body. The grief is still there now, and I may not cry every day. Um, I have routine now that one day it works and then other days it does not. I take one day, of a, one day at a time now and I'm getting used to living alone. I still get overwhelmed easily, which frustrates me, but I have to get used to the new me, as I will ever be the same person I was before Joe's accident in his workplace. Joe's accident fell under the Comcare federal scheme, so it's not work safe or work cover, and none of us have actually heard of Comcare before his death. Comcare do not have any financial or family support systems in place like work cover, so they don't have a family liaison, you don't get a percentage of his wage before you get your settlement. It's just dreadful. So I had to source everything myself while trying to grieve the loss of Joe um, and my future being taken away from me. And relieving this burden is something that I want to improve for future families so they don't have to do that, what I had to go through. The emotional and psychological effects of Joe's death had on our family is bad enough, but then to have no support added to the extra stress for all of us. After 18 months, I found support, support with Grief Works and WIC, which is Workplace Incidents Consultative Committee. They have been a great support for me and assisting me with comp care to make it better for future families. Thanks. You're listening to Stick Together. That was Jackie sharing her story on International Workers Memorial Day. Next, I wanted to play a talk by Dr Michelle McMahon, who I heard speak at the opening session of the Australian Society for the Study of Labour History Conference in April. Dr McMahon is the Aboriginal Rural Health Coordinator at La Trobe University. Um, I just want to present for you today what I had on my heart in the last couple of days. Um, uh, as I was introduced, my name is Michelle. I am a proud Yorta Yorta woman. And I'm on a week's leave, so you've got me at my absolute best. <laughs> because um, a couple of days ago, I went home onto country and I spent the day in a canoe floating around on Barmer Lakes um, with swans and pelicans and emus. Um, so I'm relaxed. Um, and, and thank you also to want to extend you know, a thank you and gratitude for inviting me here today. Uh, for the conversation today, there, um, for this conference, there are some three big words, big words. And so, you know, myself thinking, okay, to, to discuss this, you know, community, care and labour, from myself, my perspective and from my experiences as a First Nations woman. And I just have to say, you know, this is something that we need to do as Aboriginal people and I'm sure there's many, many other people groups and groups of people that also need to do this, is the disclaimer that what I speak about is my perspective. You know, I'm not talking for Aboriginal people, Yorta Yorta people, anything like this. There are strong similarities uh, of shared experience, yes. But, um, you know, i just like to say that to sort of, you know, uh, lay the land. And also I want to say that when I use the terms Western, I in no way think that defines you. If I was to talk to each of you individually from your own history, your own ancestral heritage, your own lived experience, it would be unique. I totally understand that. But for sometimes, for point of conversation, we use these big terms. Um, so to define for myself what is community, I have to take like a mega jump back. And um, Charles Faye, you taught me history, so this is like a big deal for me. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, will I get away with it? 
Um, so for me to take a big jump, I'm going to talk about my beliefs of reality. What do I believe is real and not real? What is my perception of the world that I'm in? And the reason why I have to talk about these very briefly, because we've only got a little bit today, is that it gives, like, what's the word, roots, uh, foundation to when I define what is community to me. And I've, I've also had to jump over, like, my skin is pale. Obviously, my genealogy is, is you know, what, what do they call dogs? Mongols. <laughs> but I'm so happy with that. And from my own beliefs about, from my own worldview, I strongly position myself as a yoda yoda woman. Um, but I have equally to, to do that, I've had to learn some of the history um, from a Western European perspective. And to sum it up in a couple of key words, I realised that for very key points in European history, there have been moments of separation. And that is the only term that I can use. Moments of separation where humans, for whatever reason, decided to separate themselves from animals and plants and country and from the spirit world. Um, you know, I, I've done big reading on this one, trying to scratch my head. Why? Why? Why did this happen? You know, and how did it happen? Because that, uh, those separations have come out to so many First Nations groups through, uh, you know, imperialism, colonisation, globalisation. So it's part of my lived experience now. So I need to understand, you know, some of this business. But from, from my understanding, when I put it into a nutshell, and this is where I really don't want to be disrespectful to anyone here, my understanding is that the Western perspective of... of of ontology, what is real and that is what is not real, is that there is a hierarchy with human beings at the top um, governing, classifying and exploring everything below. Animals, plants, countries. Um, in, in this key area, if I was now to position myself as a First Nations woman and explain my worldview, opposite, absolute opposite. While whatever was happening in Europe... First Nation communities all around the world maintained, continued a relational worldview. And a, a relational worldview where there was not separation. Uh, we, we had uh, uh, key values such as equality, equality between human beings, the country they stood on, the weather, the seasons, the spirit world, animals, equality between all entities. Um, and so because of this value system of equality, which is the opposite to the hierarchical worldview, um, balance needed to be maintained. These relationships need to be observed, understood and maintained. Um, so a very, very, very different worldview to one that has been, uh, what's the word, imported here um, in the last few <coughs> hundred years. So, and this worldview, um, even though we're talking big things here, we're talking concepts and stuff, informs, like all worldviews do, whatever your worldview is, it informs how you perceived your lived experience, it informs the knowledges that you put as, you know, reliable, unreliable, you know, it informs everything. When we make a decision about skincare, you know, whether you have a worldview that lived experience is where we get knowledge because my mum told me that my grandmother used this, so I'm <coughs> going to use this on my skin, or whether you see an ad and it says that this skin cream will make you 30% younger or whatever, then you're positioning yourself in a particular worldview. So we all do it all the time. 
But my worldview of equality and a relationality between all living things means that my understanding of community involves more than human, involves more than the seen. It involves the seen <coughs> and the unseen. So my eyes cannot understand everything that is in my world and is part of my world and who I'm in relationship with when I think about community. So I can be in a space and be equally thinking about the animals and the ground where my feet are, the season that it is, but equally be thinking about the unseen and the ancestors who may be present. Um, and, and wherever or not, from a spiritual perspective, I'm in a place that I should be or shouldn't be. Um, um, I think about myself as a woman, whether or not you know, it is a gendered place for me. So um, my understanding of community, and uh, this is really uh, like a big concept to discuss, involves more than human. And when Aboriginal, uh, from my experience, uh, and First Nations people are together, this is the definition of community. And the other, the other thing about community, it is a way of positioning ourselves within our worldview. I could arrive at a, at a Bendigo event. There could be hundreds of people at this event. I could see another Aboriginal person go up to them and say, hey, is there any other community here? And they'll say, oh, I think, sister, I think I saw someone else. So we've also started to use this term community as a way of identifying each other and knowing whether or not is there, a, uh, there are other Aboriginal people there. And this is for our own safety. When um, I've, I have previously worked here at this campus and I've returned, in my last iteration here, I would have community ring me up. Sister, sister, which car park do we park in? Which is the cafe that, you know, mob might be at? <coughs> uh, you know, which courses is there more mob at? So it's constantly working out a track where they will experience, or I will experience less racism and probably a place that is more safety in actually holding more of our way of seeing the world and understanding the world. So um, this is connected to our definition to the word community and how we use the word and equally, it can also be uh, extended to the word care. The same way that I introduced uh, First Nations relational worldview, including more than human, our concept of care is similar. Our concept of care of co includes more, it includes plants, animals, uh, and, and particular area where I may have raised my children, in, in a particular area where I may be living now, or a particular area where my children might live. I, will, I have different degrees of connectedness to different areas. Um, so care can, uh, can, is much more than um, just what I see with my eyes. But the actual attribute of care is celebrated and encouraged. So a child um, having a particular attribute of coming on time, being clean, all of these things are wonderful. And they're encouraged, <coughs> but a child demonstrating the attribute of care is highly prized and celebrated. So uh, for myself, as a First Nations people, it's actually up there. Someone might say that they have their PhD. That's, that's lovely. Well done. Big work, hey? But then someone uh, will talk about you know, uh, their, their care responsibilities 
and their, their level of responsibility for looking after country, their level of responsibility of looking after their, their family, and that will place them at a higher level within our community. So the actual attribute of care has a different perception. Um, and to, to roll on, and I think for me to be able to stand here and talk about who I am as a First Nations person, uh, my definition for care and community is really exciting for me because a few, I don't know how long to say, at least, you know, <coughs> 10 years ago I would have been way more nervous. 20 years ago I wouldn't have been invited. Um, so we're in a changing space. When Terra Nullius was thrown out for the High Court Mabo case, uh, we, and, and we could, I could stand here and say, I'm a First Nations person. I have my own worldview and my own perception of reality. And from this perception of reality comes language, culture, uh, uh, fields of knowledges for every aspect of life. It's allowed me to be able to you know, be here in this place. So um, in a way, to be able to stand here today, it's also for me a celebration. I believe that Terra Nullius, we have got to the point as a community where we can say that Terra Nullius was wrong, but are we, we're just moving into a space now where we can say if it was wrong, then what, was, what is right? And that's what this conversation's about when I'm able to talk about who I am from my own perception. You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories and union news, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Um, uh, I have a little chat about the term labour. Uh, and and in, for my discussion of the term labour is uh, personal. It is emotional. Because we're still in, like, you know, the thick of it. Is <laughs> the best way to describe it. Um, and check me out. I haven't looked at my notes once. It's fantastic. Um, so I, it was really wonderful with the Welcome to the Country of Troy Friarbrace. And Troy talked about the uh, historical experience of slavery in Australia, the historical experience of stolen wages, of indentured work. Um, um, he it was really wonderful to have that first introduction. But what I want to say now in this moment is to say we're still in the thick of it. And as myself as a woman, I have followed the conversations and I've joined in the conversations about disparity of equal pay between men and women. And this is very, very relevant for me. But equally relevant for me is the disparity of pay between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. And this has been a lived experience, a personal one, one that slapped me across the face quite a few times. Like, oh, OK, hang on here. I just have to go with it. There's nothing I can do. Um, so I studied here. Um, I was a sole parent. Um, uh, I did everything the world said to do. Get educated. And then you can be what you want to be. I have to say the word bullshit. <laughs> and that was what I learnt. Because when I left as a graduated social worker, I think I was registered with the AASW. I had everything. 
I was, I'm a proud Aboriginal woman, so I went like a bee launch straight for uh, my local Aboriginal health organisation to work there as a social worker. And when they told me the pay rate that I was going to be on, I actually said, excuse me, you've made a mistake. I've graduated. So back then, I'm thinking I graduated 2012, so it's a little while, it's 10 years ago now. And when I talked to community, because I came back here and worked here as an Indigenous Student Services Officer, mm -hmm. so I was the person encouraging people to study, encouraging people to get uh, graduate degrees, postgraduate uh, qualifications. Um, but when I was working there, I was earning ten to twenty thousand dollars less per annum than other people who'd done the same degree. And I was, I, I was like, what is going on? And it's only in the last, over the last 10 years that I've realised that as an Aboriginal health worker, I was put under a completely different award to my counterparts. My counterparts who worked at all the different local health organisations, we'll just call it that, uh, family services type places, were under uh, SACS, uh, Social Community, I forget the acronym. It's an, it's an award, 2010. And in this award, they had different increments for whether you had no qualifications, diploma, uh, bachelor, postgraduate. But as an Aboriginal worker, I was not able to access that award. I was put underneath the Aboriginal Community Health Award. Um, and that one had increments only went to diploma. And I had no one to talk to. Oh, so sorry, so sorry, you've made a mistake. I've actually gone and got a degree. And then I, studied, I kept studying and I've got my PhD. But um, so in a way, me standing here in front of you, I am, what is the term? Um, scapegoat. Is that the term? Because this situation, this is why I said this conversation about labour is personal. It got me skedaddled back to Latrobe. Like... Like for me to actually earn income, the place where I could still earn on parity is, is, is here. But if I was to work as an Aboriginal social worker in the field, no, I wouldn't. I would still be on a lot less. And not because there's bad people, not because of anything like this, but because I'm paid under a different award. And that award does not have the foresight or the vision that Aboriginal people will be qualified further than a diploma. So you're stuck, in a way. Like, when people talk about the ceiling, the ceiling is very low ceiling. Um, so, you know, this is my conversation. And I actually, now that I've started back at La Trobe, um, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to Aboriginal people who are working in the health area, rural health area, and this is still a conversation. Michelle, why do we earn so much less? And this is a reason why we, we have the rhetoric, and I use that word strongly, of close the gap. If we're paying our Aboriginal health workers in regional Victoria, you know, uh, on a different award, why that even exists, I don't understand. Um, it must come from some historical thing when anything Aboriginal had to be federal. Um, but under, under some sort of setup that's a very, very old model um, and not attracting Aboriginal health workers to stay in the field and work in a place that is culturally strong. You know, if you really want to uh, uh, have a, a wage that you deem like is equal to your qualifications, then you have to work in a mainstream health organisation. And the, the last area that I wanted to discuss as far as labour is professionalism. And this, this area is possibly the most personal bit. Um, 
Again, I reiterate, I'm speaking from my own perspective, but I have heard with community, um, with my sisters who are also in the field, um, and uh, with students who have graduated now working, the same discussion. Even though we have, in a way, we've walked the two worlds, we are strong in our own culture, and we have got the actual required, what people say, you know, get a degree, get qualified. We've, we've, we've covered two bases. When we're actually in our workplace, uh, the, the ex lived experience that we have is still to be spoken to like a child. I cannot tell you how many times I've been told, look, Michelle, you're Aboriginal, and it's great to have you here on staff, and if we have a cultural question, we'll ask you. But this conversation about discourse analysis or this conversation about research or this conversation about staff management or this conversation about whatever, blah, 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 is not relevant to you. And so I'm put back in my place. And I know what I'm saying now is a difficult conversation um, and, I, and, and I am sorry for it because it's so lovely to be here with everyone today. But it's a lived reality and it creates burnout it creates high level of what's it called, uh, staff coming, staff going, staff coming, staff going. And this is not an old story. I worked in a huge, a big organisation last year and this was told to my face. You're only to talk about the cultural component. You're only here for that. And so when it comes to high level decision making or Aboriginal people in the workplace being given the opportunity to go into leadership, because for some people in some areas there's still this perception that my that terra nullius is real, that my ancestors were not intelligent, sophisticated uh, uh, group of people that could um, what's the word have have deep thinking ways of of viewing the world and of being in the world because there is still that perception there there isn't the trust that you know we can actually um, be equal but different. Um, but on a, to end on a really positive note, and it really is excitement, is that now, you know, we've come through this period of time with COVID um, and the, the pandemic. Every single human being has gone through a period of vulnerability and fear, uncertainty, all of these feelings. It doesn't matter if you're Aboriginal or Aboriginal, we've all gone through it, we've all been together. So I really hope that now, and I thank, where's Emma? Um, who hunted me down. I really thank you for the invitation because I think that we are now at a time where even though it's a difficult conversation, I can have it and think that we can step out from under the shadow of Taranellius and be in a place where we can view each other as equal and different and, um, and go forward. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks for listening and thanks to Jackie and Dr Michelle McMahon for sharing their stories. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, Whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.